BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, it's Devin with a quick note telling you about a live event that the Bay is hosting on Monday, January 25th. I'll be on Zoom with KQED reporters to talk about some of the Bay Area's biggest stories coming up in 2021. Think of it kind of as a roadmap for local news this year. It's going to be fun. We're going to take your questions and we'll talk about the year ahead. You can sign up for this free event happening next Monday, January 25th at 6 p.m. We'll leave you a link in our episode notes or you can go to kqed.org events. I feel like we've all seen how frail American democracy can be just within the last few months. But for many people living in the Bay Area who are part of diasporas, communities of people who've migrated to the U.S., this Inauguration Day represents the chance to be seen, to be heard, and maybe begin to change a political narrative that's kept people living in two separate worlds. It means not being able to see your family. It means spending years and years apart For some people, being here and seeing their family back home really stuck and suffering in some cases. This is our series by the people about how democracy operates in the spaces around us and where you can plug in. Today, we're hearing from members of the Iranian diaspora here in the Bay Area about what this inauguration means to them and the role they play in shaping American democracy. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Democracy means something different for everyone. You know, our ideas of it are shaped from where we come from, what we've been through, how we want to live here. Kiana Mogadam is a podcast producer with KQED, and she's also been helping us produce our By the People series. I think when I relate that to the Iranian diaspora community, a lot of different people within it have different understandings and desires and like motivations for what we call democracy and upholding that and building that. The stakes are very, very high for this next administration. Persis Karim is a professor at San Francisco State University. And I'm the Neda Nobari Endowed Chair and Director of the Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies. Persis is a poet. She grew up in Walnut Creek with an Iranian father and a French mother. Her father came here uh, just after World War II. One of the things that Persis talks about a lot with her father is how much he like, loved the Constitution and loved kind of the idea of what America was. He had a, a little pocket-sized constitution, and he used to read it. And he used to say, you know, people don't realize how fortunate they are. 
He kept journals, he kept diaries, and um, wrote stories as well. And after my interview with Persis, she called me up to actually read me something from him. During the summer of 1929, when I was still a teenager, I read a travel log by a famous Iranian writer, Ali Dashti, which made me become infatuated with American freedom, culture, and democratic civilization. I read Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and his statement, let us reconstruct without malice toward none. And I read Franklin Roosevelt's statement, fear only fear itself. These words inspired me and set me on my journey. You know, I think it's fair to say that American democracy is far from perfect. Why did you want to talk with Persis and others in the diaspora ahead of the inauguration? You know, when I started thinking about this story, I also was thinking about how we started 2020 in January. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like we went into 2020 on the, on the brink of war. Iran's top army commander is killed in a U.S. airstrike in Iraq. Tehran is warning of harsh revenge. Could Qasem Soleimani's assassination trigger a military confrontation? And how would that so I was thinking of wanting to know if this felt like a turning point for people or if this felt like there could be an opening or some hope or something mm. um, with the Biden administration coming in or, you know, what, mm. what people were really like thinking of while they watched this election and um, what were their personal stakes in all of it, too. Can we talk about the Iranian-American relations? Because I feel like there's a lot of history here that's really important. Tell me a little bit about the Iranian-American community here in the Bay Area. Like, what are the different reasons why Iranians or their families came to the U.S. over the years? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the kind of like largest exodus from Iran happened in 1979, um, and that's following the Iranian Revolution. The political convulsions in Iran continue, and the government appointed by the Shah apparently has been toppled. That was one of the major moments of, of Iranians coming to the United States. A lot of our families left. They left. They left one after another. They left the country. They just left their houses. We saw a few more people coming, um, mostly as political refugees, after the Green Movement. This is a country which, according to the government, just overwhelmingly re-elected its president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. But in the capital, Tehran, thousands of protesters differed vehemently. One of the people that I talked to said it really nicely. They're like, there have been small windows that have opened up for Iranians to be able to come here since then. But they're, they're short, you know, they're very small, short windows. I feel like that's got to be really hard for people who have family in Iran and who are living in the U.S., like not knowing or, or feeling hope, but then hope being pulled away. And, and as you've said, like, you know, the U.S. and Iran have had a tense relationship for decades. How has that tension translated into the everyday lives of Iranian Americans now? It means not being able to see your family. It means spending years and years apart. It's, it's really interesting to be here and to be Iranian-American and know that like so much of the policy here in the U.S. is directly hurting your family back home. There are so many different stakes for Iranians, for Iranian-Americans right now, riding on this election. But it's different for everyone. It's different for people depending on when they came here, how their family is um, back home, you know, what they do here, um, whether or not they're trying to travel back and forth between Iran and the U.S. Like, the stakes are different for everyone. To get a sense of them, I really wanted to talk with 
with people who had different experiences of being here and coming here um, and their homeland. For us to start, if you can tell me your full name and just a little bit about who you are and what you do here in the Bay Area. My name is Hanif Satr. I'm a chef and co-founder of Komaj, which is a northern Iranian restaurant and a catering company based in Bay Area. Hanif came here in 2012. Hanif's wife is, is in Iran and he's been trying to get her to the United States for the last few years and hasn't had any luck. It was almost... Um, me, early mid 2018 when we started the process and uh, still you know we are waiting why has it been so hard to get his wife to the u.s yeah it's a pretty um i want to say a pretty common story it's very hard to get visas it's hard to get um iranians to the united states right now just traveling in between the two countries is hard let alone um, being able to migrate right now He's a chef, and I I know that food is this really important cultural currency in a way, like where where you can really share a part of yourself and part of your culture with other people. I'm curious, what role does Hanif feel like he can play in mending, you know, what's been a fractured relationship between the U.S. and Iran? You know, one thing one thing that comes as a result of the relationship between the two countries is like so much is unknown. Like there's you know so much food even that like. People here in America, when when we're talking about Iranian food, like they've never known about like, so what he's doing is expanding the knowledge of this cuisine, um, which in turn, like, is expanding the knowledge of, of a people and a culture and a place. You know, there is no language barrier. There is no even religious barrier or political barriers. There is nothing. Trump really turned everything into a, the worst that every, everyone could imagine. And we suddenly found ourselves in the middle of the situation that we could do something through food or something for, for the people to, to learn our, about our culture. And part of that work means he's going back and forth between the U.S. and Iran. And it's really hard to travel back and forth. Also, um, it's very hard to import or export um, because of sanctions. It's like pretty much impossible. Most Americans probably understand a very superficial story about the Iranian-American relationship, and they and they know it's tense. But it sounds like a lot of people in the diaspora and a lot of Iranians, it's really important to to break past that narrative. And I feel like what Hanif is trying to do is exactly that, kind of breaking down barriers in a way. What are his hopes going into the inauguration? So Hanif's hopes uh, going into the new Biden administration is really one to to change the relationship. I really believe that there is always a, a way that can be found to to create a new, friendly, respectful relationship with any any person, any government, or any country around the world. Coming up, more voices from the Iranian diaspora. We'll hear about siblings, a student, and an artist on their stakes in the election and their hopes for the future. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. You know, it sounds like a big theme among the people that you've talked to is kind of living in two worlds, whether it's having friends or family in Iran or experiencing the two countries' politics and all their differences and similarities. Can you now tell me about Siavash and Hasti? What stake did they have in the outcome of this election? Siavash Jafari Jozani and his sister Hasti Jafari Jozani both live in the Bay Area right now. But when I first started talking with Siavash, Hasti was actually on her way here. I remember feeling like I just can't do this anymore. This is, uh, I felt like I was going through this process for months and getting nowhere, and it was really heartbreaking. She is a student here at San Francisco State University. Um, she's in the Creative Writing Master's program. She'd gotten a scholarship. Uh, she was really excited to, to start this program and to come and join her brother, Siavash, who has been here since 2016. This was her chance to come to the U.S. Um, and to pursue this degree. The pretty common experience from what I heard from other um, students like me, and, and we are a bunch of people just um, trying so hard to just get here. We come from a country uh, was always being blamed for not having a democracy. And when, when you look at uh, the history of Iran in the past century, uh, you see the struggle of people uh, trying to build a democracy. Uh, I think the, the first thing that comes into your mind is that how fragile democr democracies can be. And it's really just up to the people of that country to try to keep it alive. It needs nurture and it needs uh, understanding, mutual understanding. I just hope that I get to uh, belong to this place more because of it. And I hope that um, the fragile, fragile uh, democracy that my brother mentioned, uh, that it, it, will, um, it will be protected and that it will be practiced um, in uh, everybody's day-to-day -day life. I also know that you spoke with an artist here in the Bay Area. Who is she and when did she come to the U.S.? Shakaye Sarus is a artist and curator living here in the Bay Area. She came in 2011 after the Green Movement in Iran. It was like a little gates that opened and a lot of my generation after Green Movement got out of the country. I mean, without knowing what's going on. One of the reasons I first connected with Shakaye was because of her, her artwork. A lot of it is about connection. 
I started uh, to focus on uh, the idea of time and space and what does it mean for refugees specifically to experience, um, um, you know, their sense of home and belonging and uh, connection and communication with their loved ones uh, in Iran. So I started doing a lot of live video chats. There are stakes for her work um, in that that come up because of sanctions, that come up because of relations between the two countries, whether or not that's like being able to work with an artist in Iran, whether or not that's being able to see her family. Always it goes back to um, being able to be with your family members or being able to be with your people. As an artist and an Iranian or artist in the U.S., does she feel like she has a responsibility to kind of take advantage of uh, American democracy in any way uh, through her art? Yeah, um, I think she feels an immense responsibility. She talks a lot about needing to speak up and needing people to hear um, struggles and, and things that she's feeling and things that people in Iran are feeling. I'm really hopeful that people speak up. I mean, I, I really think like there are a lot of things to do and I feel like... Uh, lot of different culture, a lot of different people from different countries have to speak up. They have to learn from each other. They have to just like help each other to understand. I want to come back to Persis, who we talked about at the very beginning, whose dad very much believed in American democracy, even if he did see its flaws. I feel like there's so much wisdom that we can pull from people in the diaspora because because of this, when when we think about the kind of democracy we want, what role does Persis say the Iranian diaspora or, or others in the diaspora for that matter play in American democracy at the moment? You know, something I love so much about the way that Persis talks about the diaspora is she's really saying like Iranian diaspora culture is something other than what is in Iran, you know, and that is like something that is really unique to this place that's unique. You know, she's talking about the Bay Area, for example, but um, I think this applies to many diaspora communities throughout the world. The experience of diasporas is that people find ways to reinvent and recharacterize a culture. And to me, that's like what America, what the United States of America is really all about. It's like producing these rich and uh, otherwise impossible cultures that couldn't be made back home. Like, you know, Iranian diaspora culture is something other than what it is in Iran. And that's only possible in a place like the United States, in California, in Berkeley, in San Francisco. Um, and that's what I want to capture. Iranians who are here um, are advocating for Iranians back home too. And I think it goes both ways. And like that advocacy shows up in different ways, whether it's through art or through food um, or through academia. And that's an exercise in democracy. It's an exercise in, um, you know, it's a practice. And, and I think that uh, on like the most basic level, it's what taking care of each other looks like. And it's what... Um, like advocating for each other and our and our family and our peoples look like. Thanks to Kiana Mogadam, podcast producer with KQED, and also a producer for our By the People series, which we'll leave you a link to in our show notes. 
KQED is going to be carrying live coverage of the inauguration, and we'll also have plenty for you to read about online at kqed.org. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Shaylin Martos, Kiana, myself, and our editor, Alan Montecilio. The Bay is local news to keep you rooted. We're made by your public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.